Have you ever wondered who the Mary was from Bloody Mary? If the Loch Ness Monster was real, or if Ouija boards actually worked? On each episode of the family-friendly Unspookable, we look at the histories and mysteries behind your favorite scary stories, myths, and urban legends to get the real stories behind the scares. Want to solve your next mystery? Find and follow Unspookable now wherever you get your podcasts. Soundington Media! Hey, Brian. If you discovered a comet, what would you name it? I'd name it... That's the comet. So that when people see it, they'd be like, that's the... That's the comet. That's nice. I'd name mine Dad. Okay, we're back with the dad (laughs) thing, huh? All right. Yeah, but this time, it's like, yes, it's named after my dad, but... You know, he's also my brother's dad, so this time it's named after my dad, but for my brother. Oh, well, that's kind of sweet, I guess. All right. We'll allow it. We'll allow it. Hey, did you know that the recent Perseids meteor shower is associated with the Swift-Tuttle comet, which was named after Lewis Swift and Horace Parnell Tuttle, who discovered it in 1862? Maybe. I kind of knew that. But did you know that the meteor shower is called the Perseids because the point from which they appear is in the constellation Perseus? I did know that. I'm Brian Holden, future discoverer of Comet That's The. And I'm Meredith Stepien, future discoverer of the famed Dad Comet, but for my brother. And this is Reach, a space podcast for kids. Welcome to Reach, a space podcast for kids. You know, Brian, summer is a great time to check out the stars and planets in the night sky. Annual celestial events like the Perseid meteor shower make skywatching a lot of fun. Whether you're watching shooting stars or looking at Jupiter and Saturn or gazing at our nearby moon. And you know what's even more exciting? What? You never know when a new astronomer might make the world's next exciting cosmic discovery. So we asked future astronomers in our listening community... If you discovered a comet, what would you name it? Here's what they had to say. Hi, my name is Olivia, and if I discovered a comet, I would call it Vomit Comet, because it rhymes and people will laugh when they heard the name. Hi, my name is Blad, and if I discovered a comet, I would probably name it Blue or Bluey, because yesterday I dyed my hair blue. Wow, those were some great answers. Thanks, friends. Remember, whatever you name your comet is going to be the name of that comet for forever. There is so much to see out there in the night sky, Meredith. But how do we tell it all apart? Well, we were really fortunate to meet Nick Lake, manager of theater experience and presentation at Chicago's Adler Planetarium. Nick is the host of a popular YouTube series called Skywatch Weekly, and he shared a wealth of expertise about what's out there and how to see it for yourself. Hi, Nick. Thanks so much for joining us on Reach. Of course. I'm excited to be with you. It's so nice to have you here. And I would love if you would tell our listeners, who are you and what do you do? Sure. My name is Nick Lake, and I work at the Adler Planetarium. Uh, I do all sorts of things. As a theater's manager, I specialize in live planetarium shows. So if you've ever been to a planetarium or really any sort of theater, the person that's up there talking to you. Uh, That's the kind of thing I like to do and also help other people do. So I hire and train our presenters 
Uh, I also have a hand in making new shows for the Planetarium, uh, writing the scripts, and I do quite a bit of programming in our Planetarium software. So using the computers to put really cool stuff up on the dome, uh, that's something I really like to do. Uh, most recently, I created a video series called Skywatch Weekly that has new episodes weekly. Adler is currently closed to the public, so this is a great way to still connect with our audience and share the wonders of the sky virtually. Yes. And Nick, you are similar to me in that you are an actor and you have a background in theater. I would love it if you talked about just kind of how you feel theater, how you can use theater to express and share space science with the world. I find that science communication is really important. And the thing that can often be missing from it is the emotion and the human story behind it. So I find that coming from a theater perspective and approaching these things like the universe and the galaxy and the northern lights, things like that, they're awe-inspiring. And to be able to communicate that to an audience, to communicate that to people that may have never seen this thing themselves, and for the first time they're seeing it play out on a planetarium dome, it makes them feel like they're really there. Uh, the theater does a lot of the work visually, but to have that human voice in there as well, feeling those feelings and helping the audience along, yeah, kind of approaching these things that can be kind of overwhelming, maybe a little bit scary to think about. Uh, I think that it's a, a cool fusion between those two. Okay, so can you just tell us what is sky watching? Sky watching for me is getting out there and looking up at the sky, which kind of seems obvious, but that doesn't just include nighttime sights. Uh, this is around the clock. So seeing things that the sky has to offer at all times of day. So at night, it's pretty obvious. Um, stars, planets, the moon. Also things you might not expect. Maybe a satellite. Maybe the International Space Station passing over. And you can look up and say, wow, there are six people on board that little point of light that I'm seeing pass over my yeah. head. Uh, the northern lights, meteors, maybe a comet. So all that's nighttime stuff. But then during the day, you have the moon again. I just saw the moon today with my young daughters. They pointed to it and said, there's the moon. Uh, the bright planet Venus. Believe it or not, you can see Venus during the day just with your eyes. Also, there's things like cool shadows. You know, watching a sunset or something. You're just like, wow, that's beautiful. Like seeing the beauty, seeing the surprising parts of nature. And then also just being aware of kind of the connection between what you're seeing and also maybe the science that's there. Maybe on a, mm -hmm. a cool or really crisp winter day, sometimes we get these really high, wispy clouds called cirrus clouds. And when the sun shines through them, you get what are called sun dogs. They're these bright points of light off to either side of the sun. They often have a little bit of a rainbow in them, and that's because of the ice crystals in the air. The light shining through them, like it's bent, it's refracted, and it creates these beautiful spots in the sky. So all things like that, that you can see when you look up at the sky, uh, not just at night. Wow. And people have been sky watching for forever since as long as we know about. And think about all the people who came before us and have learned so much about the sky and passed it on to us. Okay, so we've got a few questions about how to see Jupiter and Saturn. 
But first, we gotta talk about this comet that everyone has been talking about, which is Neowise. Can you tell us about Neowise and why it caught everybody's attention? You saw it, right? With your own eyeballs? I did. With my own eyeballs uh, several times. Yeah. It was uh, even from Chicago in the bright city lights. We were able to see it right at the beginning of that nice, nice appearance. So Neowise is a comet that was discovered only back in March. It survived its closest approach to the sun in early July, and it was a really dusty comet. Still is a really dusty comet, but especially during that close pass to the sun, and then as it was starting to get closer to the Earth, it was spewing all this stuff, all this dust into space. And that shone really brightly. The sunlight lit it up, and it created this beautiful tail. And that's really what a great comet uh, is going to have is a tail, not just a, a coma or a nucleus that you're looking at, but this stretching tail. And from darker skies, it stretched a huge section of the sky with um, binoculars. Uh, you were able to see an even longer tail, but even just with your eyes, you're able to see it. And that's what makes a comet noticeable, right? So this is why people were talking about it. They could see it in the sky. It wasn't you know, the brightest comet we've ever seen. Um, even in my lifetime, we've had ones that are brighter but it was something that people could notice if they weren't necessarily looking for it. But especially if they were looking for it, they were able to find it no matter where they were. Wow. I wish I had seen it. I did not get to see it. Do you know why it's called NEOWISE? So NEOWISE is an acronym. So each of those letters stands for another word. So in the case of NEOWISE, it's kind of two parts of that. Let's take the WISE part. So that's the Wide Field Infrared Survey Explorer. So W-I-S-E. WISE is a space telescope that was launched back in 2009. And it was created, it was sent up there to take infrared images. So really, really red uh, images, light that we can't see with our eyes, of the entire sky. That's something we can't do from the surface of Earth because that light doesn't get through the atmosphere. So we need to send spacecraft out to look for it. Well, to do that, it needed a bunch of hydrogen on board to keep it really, really cold so it could uh, see this this special kind of light. And after that hydrogen was gone, it ran out at the end of the mission, it had done what it was supposed to do, the spacecraft could still work. It could still point to different things in the sky. So scientists decided to change the spacecraft's mission. So they wanted to start to look for near-Earth objects in the solar system. Objects like asteroids, comets, things that might get close to Earth at some point. So near-Earth object, N-E-O, that's NEO. So they added that to the beginning of WISE for NEO-WISE. And it also kind of works, too, because the prefix NEO also means new. So it's a new version of the WISE spacecraft. So... They then call this comet Neowise because that was the spacecraft that saw it. That's incredible. All right, so we all saw Neowise except for me. Um, are <laughs> we going to see one, other yeah. comets soon? Since I miss Neowise, do I get to see a comet soon? So really, any night there are comets that you can see, usually with uh, maybe binoculars, but usually a pretty good telescope. You're able to spot them. But they're really unpredictable. So we only found out about Neowise in March. And then in July, it was doing this amazing thing in our sky. And that's really where you get a good comet. The, the chances are really good if this is 
maybe the first time or it's been a long time since a comet has come into the inner part of the solar system because it's got a lot of stuff on it that hasn't hasn't burned off due to the sunlight. So as comets get close to the sun, they get hotter and they're basically just big, dirty snowballs. So <laughs> they get close. That ice starts to become gas, really, and fly off into space. And that's what creates this beautiful tail. But if a comet's been through a lot and it's gone by the sun a bunch, it's not going to have a whole lot of stuff left to show. So if it's the first time or it's been a long time since that comet's come into the inner solar system, the chances are better. So who knows? We could have one this fall that you'll be able to see, no problem. But uh, it's every, I don't know, 10 years or so on average, we get a good comet like Neil. Wow. So it's not like an eclipse where we've learned enough about it and been able to track the motion of these objects to know when they're going to show up. It depends. So Comet Halley, Halley's Comet, that is one that comes by every 76 or so years. It last came by in 1986, and it wasn't a great appearance. It was pretty far from the Earth as it came through. But it's, it's had other times where it's come through and it's been absolutely brilliant. The Earth actually went through the tail of it at one point in, uh, in the past couple centuries. So the next time it comes around, we're still a few decades away. Uh, who knows? Maybe it'll be a, a pretty good view. Okay, 1986 is the year before I was born. So 76 years. I'll make it. Absolutely. I'm eating healthy. Okay. <laughs> Nick, if you discovered a comet, what would you name it? Ooh, good question. So comets are almost always, I think, named for the discoverer. So it would probably be Comet Lake, which is is fine. All right, let's talk about planets. Yeah. What planets can we see right now? We can. How, how do we catch planets like Venus, Jupiter, Saturn? Well, right now, Jupiter and Saturn are really bright. Uh, they're visible in the southern sky in the evening. And that would be... From the Northern Hemisphere, if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, they're going to be uh, a little bit higher in the sky, actually. But here in the North, as we're looking south, we see them. Jupiter is the brightest thing up there right now, uh, except for the moon. So if you see a bright thing in the south, that's probably Jupiter. To its lower left is going to be Saturn. And joining them right now, it's rising a couple hours after sunset, is Mars. It's quite bright. It's actually brighter than Saturn is right now. And by the time it gets to its brightest of this year, which will be in October, it will be brighter than Jupiter is currently. So it's going to be making a pretty close uh, approach to Earth. Still millions of miles away, but nice and bright. Wow. Wait, and Mars was really bright recently in the last couple of years as well, right? Was it brighter than Jupiter then? It was a similar, yeah, similar brightness. So 2018, July of 2018, it was fairly close. It'll actually be a little bit farther away this time, but it's also going to be higher up in the sky. So a good chance if you have a telescope to take a look and get a good view. Amazing. And can you really quick talk about the difference between from up here in the northern hemisphere, the difference between the northern sky and the southern sky and how it changes and then how that might change also if you go down to the southern hemisphere? Yeah. So in the northern hemisphere, kind of from what we call mid-northern latitudes, so You're not up in the Arctic Circle, but you're also not down in the tropics. From those mid-northern latitudes, you can see an area of the sky in the north that never sets. So we call those circumpolar stars. Patterns like the Big Dipper, maybe the W shape of Cassiopeia. Um, 
These are patterns that from Chicago and from a lot of places are always in the sky. And then you have the more seasonal part of the sky that rises in the east, sets in the west, and changes. So right now you'd be going outside and seeing maybe the summer triangle high up overhead. And then in a few months, right now you'd have to wait up till oh, about four in the morning to see Orion rising in mm-hmm. the east. But in a few months, as we get into the wintertime, you're going to see Orion pretty much all night at that point. Now, as you go to the southern hemisphere, it kind of all just gets turned on its head. So if you go far enough south, like if you're in parts of Australia and New Zealand, parts of southern Africa and South America, from there, for somebody that grew up in the northern hemisphere, things would look upside down. So Orion would look like he was standing on his head. Even the moon, if you happen to see maybe the man in the moon, the woman in the moon, the rabbit in the moon, you look from Australia and it's it looks like it's upside down. Now, there's not really any up or down in space. It's just kind of what you grew up with, what you're used to seeing that makes it look that way. Unreal. Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be a little bit different from everywhere. But uh, there's a lot of the sky that is the same. So the planets, the zodiac constellations like Leo, like Sagittarius and Scorpius, all of those, that's pretty much visible anywhere on Earth. So cool. Okay, let's talk about the Perseid meteor shower. What is a meteor shower first off? A meteor shower is a time when there are more meteors than, say, average. On any night, you could go outside in a really dark sky uh, without a moon and see maybe one meteor every 10 minutes or so. That's kind of the, the average that you'd see. Mm-hmm. During a meteor shower, that can go up. So you might be able to see one meteor per minute, maybe two. Maybe you'll see three or four all at once and then wait a while and see a few more. It might not sound like a lot, but if you're outside for an hour, you could see upwards of 100 meteors in a good shower. If it's a nice, if a nice clear, dark sky uh, without a moon. Now, in the case of the Perseid meteor shower, and actually for, for most meteor showers, what you're seeing are uh, little bits of comets. This is not Comet Neowise that we're seeing now. These are little bits of a comet that we've known about for centuries that comes through the inner part of the solar system every uh, 130 years or so. And as it does, like all comets, it leaves stuff in its wake. So these are little bits about the size of a grain of sand or smaller. Uh, Little bits that as Earth goes through this trail that's left behind the comet, uh, those bits hit the atmosphere, and we get these little little uh, streaks of light. They're really quick. They happen almost in the blink of an eye. So if you're not looking in quite the right place, you might see it out of the corner of your eye, and you've just missed it. But if you're out there lying down on a you know a nice warm night in August, it's a wonderful way to pass the time. So how can people catch the meteor, the Perseid meteor shower? What direction should they face? Where yeah. do you look? Sure. So the Perseids are named after the constellation Perseus. So Perseus is kind of near the W shape of Cassiopeia. It kind of follows her up in the sky in the northeast. So tonight and, yeah, kind of in August, Perseus is rising a little bit later in the night, which is why you might have heard that you should go outside at 1 or 2 in the morning to see it. You can see it earlier than that. And, in fact, we're right now just past the peak of the shower. It was the morning of August 12th. But really through the rest of August, if you're outside 
especially if it's a dark, dark night without a moon, you have a good chance to see some Perseids. And all of them, if you trace back kind of where it looks like they came from in the sky, they're going to trace back to that constellation of Perseus in the Northeast. So fun. So what is the best way for our audience to get involved in sky watching? Really, the best way is to just get out there and look up and not only look up, but start wondering about what you see. And right now is an awesome time to get into stargazing. Number one, it's warm outside. Uh, But also, there's so many great stargazing apps. Now you can take your device and point it at the sky and it will tell you what you're looking at. It's pretty amazing. And it'll give you information about those things. So as much as I'd say, okay, get to a dark sky and don't look at devices and, you know, try and get it as dark adapted as possible. I think stargazing apps are really useful just to get to know the sky, uh, be familiar with it. And that's really where the fun of stargazing comes in and sky watching in general is being familiar with the sky. So you start to notice when things are a little bit different. You might know that Zodiac constellation. And all of a sudden, there's a bright point of light in it. You say, oh, that must be a planet. I wonder which one that is. That wasn't there last year and things like that. So the sky changes a lot. And to kind of see that happen, see those uh, those changes occur is pretty exciting. So cool. Thank you so much for joining us, Nick. This has been an awesome discussion. It's just awesome to just sit back and remind ourselves of this, especially right now when we're all kind of stuck at home and have some extra time to pay attention to these things. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a way to connect with the universe and also see things you know like a a cool comet that everybody's able to see even though they really can't see each other at that time it's pretty fun where can folks see your actual videos and your series sure skywatch weekly is put out every wednesday it is hosted on youtube and you can also find it through the adler website adlerplanetarium.org so go to www.adlerplanetarium.org check out all of his videos Every Wednesday, he tells you about new things you can see in the sky that week. Thanks again to Nick Lake from the Adler Planetarium for joining us on Reach. He's my friend, and I'm proud to know him. Nick was telling us about Mars and Jupiter and Saturn, but how come we aren't talking about the planets that are further out in our solar system? Well, those are usually pretty hard to see since they're so far away, especially if you live in a city where there's lots of extra light. Oh, bummer. But even though we can't see them, we might be able to talk to them. Though they're pretty far away, so we we might have to shout, Brian. Okay, let's go for it. Hello, Neptune! Thank you for joining us on Reach! Uh, Thanks, Brian and Meredith. Totally far out to be here. Did you know I'm named for the Roman god of the sea? I'm the eighth and most distant major planet orbiting the sun, and I'm more than 30 times as far from the sun as Earth. Really? 30 times? The winds on my surface travel at more than 1,500 miles per hour, making them the fastest in the solar system. Whoa, that's fast. How long does it take for you to orbit the sun? In 2011, I completed my first 165-year orbit since my discovery by those of you on Earth. What's it like being an ice giant? You know, some people might think it's not easy being an ice giant, but I think it's pretty rad. I may not even be remotely habitable, but I can always chill with my main moon, Triton. So we're just kicking back 
riding the most far out planetary orbit in the solar system and waiting for some of you humans to come visit. You do know we're like way cooler than Mars, right? Literally. Like over 130 degrees Celsius cooler on average. So like, I just, I just don't know why you don't want to hang out with the coolest planet. But depending on your metrics. Sure, Uranus has a slightly colder coldest temperature. But like, whatever, Uranus. We'd love to visit sometime. Brian, Meredith, you're welcome to come surf an icy mega hurricane on Neptune anytime. And no, mega hurricane is not a technical term, but it's still a whole lot of fun. Catch you later. Great to catch up, Neptune. Keep chillin'. Meredith, I think it's time we go skywatching. Before we go, I asked Nick to stick around and share a fun at-home activity for anyone looking to keep their eyes on the sky. All you need is a pad of paper and something to write with. I'm ready. Let's welcome back Nick Lake from the Adler Planetarium. Nick, thanks so much for sticking around. One of the things I like to do when I look at the sky is try to remember all the things that I saw up there. A great way to do that is photography, but another fun way to do it is to sketch what you see. So go out there in the night sky or maybe even the daytime sky and draw what you see. Maybe it's the sun. Maybe it's the moon. Maybe it's a point of light. You don't really know what it is, but it's super bright and eye-catching. Maybe it's a pattern of stars you've never noticed before, and you can start to make a fun drawing out of it. Maybe a creature that's up there, maybe a person. Let your imagination be your guide. You've got the sky up there. You've got a beautiful, natural thing to look at. And try and capture what you see so that later you can go back and remember, that's right, that special night I spent out under the stars, here's what it looked like. Here's what I can remember from that. I love that, Nick. I love the thought of drawing this one tree that's in my front yard from this one spot on the steps. And then maybe coming back in six months, drawing that same tree at the same time and seeing, where's the sun now? Has it changed its position? What does the tree look like? Is it the same color? Thank you so much, Nick. Hey, Meredith, I think we might want to invite our new in-house expert next time we look at the stars. Maybe he can bring one of those telescopes from the Adler. Think they'll fit in the car? I bet they'll fit in the car. No, they won't fit in our car, Bray. I actually think they will, for sure, fit in the car. While Brian's taking measurements of our hatchback, we'd like to remind you that anytime you're working on an at-home activity, make sure to always get your parents' permission. And if you're watching this guy during the day, remember to wear your sunglasses and never look directly at the sun. And remember that depending on where you're standing on Earth, you'll see a different part of the sky. Cool. So send us a photo of your sky sketch to reachthepodcast at gmail.com or tag us on Twitter or Instagram at reachthepodcast. I'm not kidding. Our listener drawings are amazing. I think we have some future science artists out there. Was there something else? I guarantee those telescopes will fit in the car. You know, Brian, we've learned so much about sky watching and meteor showers, and it might be time to go look for some shooting stars. I wonder what shooting stars are made of. Maybe we'll find out next week. In the meantime, I really learned a lot about how sky watching is more than just looking at a night sky. I loved how Nick was talking about doing sky watching during the day and sort of observing your shadow and things like that. For additional online resources and this month's sky watching tips, 
check out our show notes. As always, we want to acknowledge that not everyone has access to computers or the internet. And if you're not able to get online, many local libraries offer publicly available internet access. Thanks for joining us for Reach, a space podcast for kids. We're your hosts, Meredith Stepien and Brian Holden. This episode of Reach was written by Sandy Marshall with Nate DeFort, Meredith Stepien, and Brian Holden. Reach is produced by Nate DeFort and Sandy Marshall, who's a solar system ambassador for NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and edited by Nate DeFort. Our theme song and additional music was composed by Jesse Case. Our logo was created by Stephen Lyons. And we'd like to offer a huge thank you to our great friend Nick Lake, manager of theater experience and presentation at Chicago's Adler Planetarium. You can watch Nick's Skywatch Weekly videos on YouTube and learn more about the Adler by visiting adlerplanetarium.org. Neptune was portrayed by the amazing Eric O'Keefe, co-creator and host of What If World, a storytelling podcast for kids. Follow the show online at www.whatifworldpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And a big thanks to our learning community for the excellent questions and thought starters. Thanks to Blythe and Olivia. You can hear more of Olivia weekly with her father, Jacob, on the Curious Kid podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. Do you have a burning question about space? Ask away. Our bi-weekly segment entitled Reaching Out is our chance to answer your questions. Tune in to Reaching Out next week to find out how you can be featured in an upcoming episode. We are really glad to know that so many people are enjoying Reach, so be sure to tell your friends, leave us a rating and review in your podcast player of choice, or share an episode on social media. If you'd like to find us online, visit Reach the Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, or on our website at www.reachthepodcast.com. Reach is a production of Soundsington Media, committed to making quality programming for young audiences and the young at heart. For more information on our shows and the people behind them, go to soundsingtonmedia.com. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now.